Well, it's my desire to do what the hymn said, do what I can't do, but by God's grace to draw us all nearer, nearer to the precious bleeding side of our Savior Jesus Christ. You can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1. And I'm going to be completely honest with you, my dear church family. I've preached from this particular passage, uh, this will be my third time, and I have not been satisfied at all with either of the first two times. Um, but yet, it is glorious truths. It is, it is, it will be looking at 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, um, and then maybe possibly at a later date, um, look at the verses following. But the purpose for Peter writing this letter is found in actually 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, where he says, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Peter, the Holy Spirit through Peter, his purpose is to stir up the believers to whom he is writing. To stir up has the idea of waking up. It has the idea that maybe... They're asleep. They need to be aroused. Uh, I've used this example before, but um, when we would go to Sister Lee's house and swim, you know, maybe we're getting kind of bored and the water's just kind of dead. And so what we would do, we'd say, hey, y'all, let's make waves. And so we'd get the, the swim noodles, you know, the noodles, and we'd do this for about two minutes. And then, man, it would just be, we could just ride on the swim noodles. We could ride the waves of the pool around for probably three or four or five minutes. Well, maybe spiritually, we need to be stirred up and make some waves, as it were, spiritually. The context is Peter is writing this letter. This is, as, this is how Paul's second Timothy, his second epistle to Timothy was. That was Paul's last hurrah. That was his last will and testament to Timothy. Well, this is Peter's last will and testament. Probably one year, maybe two years after Peter writes this letter... He is going to be martyred for Christ. Remember Peter, the denier who denied Christ, yet Jesus prayed for him, I've prayed for thee that Satan won't sift you as wheat, and when thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. So Peter is, is living out Jesus' prayer, which Jesus' prayer always, prayers always get answered. Um, but Peter is likely to die one or two years later after he writes this letter. And so I want you to... to Think about that. This is, this is his last will and testament. Matter of fact, he says in, um, in, in chapter 1, verse 12, verse 12 of 2 Peter 1, he says, Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet, or I think it appropriate, or right, as long as I am in this tabernacle, this body, to stir you up, by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. In John chapter 21, Jesus showed Peter how he was going to die. And it was going to be by crucifixion. The same way that Jesus died. And this is not in Scripture, but a lot of church history would say that Peter, when it came time for Peter 
to, to be martyred, to die, that uh, he refused to be crucified the same way that, that Christ was because he didn't count himself worthy. And so he was voluntarily crucified upside down. So this is, this is Peter. This is, this is his letter. This is his heart. This is what's going on. And really, Peter's, Peter's desire is, again, to stir them up. He wants to see growth and grace. He wants to, to, them to make their calling and election sure, like we heard this morning. He wants them to grow. He ends the letter by, um, by exhorting them to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But before he does that, he starts his letter with beautiful pieces of encouragement, glorious truths for God's people. And so this is a letter to God's children, to believers in Jesus Christ. And I want you to take encouragement from this tonight. So, Brother Reggie, I'm titling the message, Peter's Encouragement. Peter's Encouragement. Let's read the first four verses. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith, with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now before, I I meant to say this before I read the text, but I want to say this. This letter, like I said, this letter is a letter to people who have obtained like precious faith. And I'll get to that, I'll get to that in just a minute. So this is a letter to believers. This is a letter to people who have received the precious gift of faith. Those who are children of God. Those who have been made new by the Holy Spirit. And I realize that there could be somebody here tonight who is, has not yet been made new. Been made new, a new creature by the Spirit of God. And so my prayer is... Not anything that I will do or say, but my prayer is that the Holy Spirit will so grip you and so uh, penetrate into your soul with His irresistible grace, and then the things that are being taught, you'll already have a foundation. After the Holy Spirit regenerates you, you will already have a foundation of being taught these things of God, okay? So this is for everybody, but in a specific way, this is for believers in Jesus Christ. And that's, that's the first thing... I want you to notice, who is he writing to? Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith. We heard about faith this morning. Faith is a precious gift of God. A simple definition is just faith is the ability to see God for who He is. It's the ability to believe and trust in God. I love what... What one old uh, Baptist minister in the 1800s said, he said, faith is the spiritual eye of the soul. Listen to this. Faith sees Christ, and as Christ is seen, His excellence is recognized. Do you recognize the excellence of Jesus Christ? As His excellence unfolds, He becomes an object of endearment to the heart. Is Jesus Christ dear to you tonight? 
I pray He is. Is He dear to you tonight? He becomes an object of endearment to the heart. Faith, I love this. Listen to this. Faith sees majesty in His lowliness, dignity in His condescension, honor in His humiliation, beauty in His tears, transcendent, surpassing glory in His cross. That is faith. That is faith. Seeing Christ as excellent. Seeing Christ as an object of endearment. Beloved. But guess what? You know, we heard today, and it's true, that there is nothing you and I can do to conjure up this faith on our own. It says that he is writing to people who have obtained this faith. We've heard this for years and years about the word obtained. That is something we are completely passive in. We receive the gift of faith completely passively. That obtained that lancano. That means it is received by what? By divine allotment. By divine allotment. Nothing you and I could ever do could, could earn faith. And here's the thing. We wouldn't even desire faith. We wouldn't desire to earn faith in the first place because we are dead in trespasses and in sins. And so I want, I want to impress upon you This is the old, old story. If I was giving you a new, new story, then you should, you, you should, there should be some red flags going on. This is the old, old gospel story that we need to be reminded of again and again. And this, this gift of faith truly is precious. It is of the utmost value. It is of the utmost worth. And one of the main reasons why it is so valuable, so precious, so worthy is because outside of this faith, this gift that believers receive, well, Isaiah would describe the state in this way when he is writing to that sinful nation of Judah. Here's how he would describe it. And this is you today, tonight, and I tonight, outside of Jesus Christ. He would say, from the sole of the foot... Even unto the head, there is no soundness in it. Get this picture right here. Get this picture. Don't eat supper and and read Isaiah 1-6 at the same time, okay? From the sole of the foot, even unto the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned. Verse 5, I meant to start with verse 5. Why should ye be stricken anymore? Ye will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart is faint. From top to bottom, brothers and sisters. Like Daddy said at Salt and Light, there's already, already three strikes against us. That's our state outside of this gift of faith. Romans 3 would describe it this way, those who are outside of Jesus Christ. He would describe it this way, Paul would. As it is written, he's quoting from the Psalms, verse 10, Romans 3.10, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, 
There is none that seeketh after God. Again, it's not, it's not, a, it's not a situation where I, I wish I could believe. I wish I could um, receive this gift of faith. No, it is we don't even desire it in our sinful nature outside of Christ. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. That's another pretty gross, horrific picture. An open sepulcher. An open grave. That's our depraved mouth, as it were. That's our depraved state. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. No peace, saith God to the wicked. Isaiah would say, and outside of Christ, that's you and I. No in the way of peace have I not known outside of Christ. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians that, that the things of the, the uh, spiritual things are foolishness to us. They are foolish. So, so what is why? I think I said this at my ordination. What is wise is foolish to me, and what is foolish is wise to me. That's my state. That's your state outside of Jesus Christ. That is our totally depraved state. And so why am I going on with this? It is so that we will, in a fresh way, value the precious gift of faith. If you see Jesus Christ as excellent, if you see Him as dear, praise His name. It is a free and sovereign gift of God that I would never even desire, that I would never even seek after outside of Him. So, he's writing to them that have obtained like precious faith with us. How so? Through what? Through what? Through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. I was reading Isaiah 53 recently. I read Isaiah 53 often, and I suggest you do the same. You know, it's the, one of the greatest prophecies in all of the Old Testament. Probably, anyway, I won't say the greatest. It's all inspired by the Holy Spirit. But one of, it, it is um, one of the clearest prophecies, one of the most powerful prophecies in all of the Old Testament of Jesus as the suffering servant. He's the suffering servant of Jehovah, talking about um, what He had to bear for the sins of His people. And I'm going to read just some select verses, and I want you to notice the language um, of, and I'll try to emphasize the words, but I want you to notice the language of, of Jesus Christ as having to bear a, a weight or a burden. Okay, think about that. Because the gift of faith is received through the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the only way that anybody is saved, the only way that anybody is a believer in Jesus Christ is because a perfect man had to suffer, had to bear, had to pay the debt that we all owe, that you and I owe, because 
one sin, James would say, it makes us guilty of the whole law. Why? Because God is completely righteous. He's completely holy. Habakkuk would say he, he cannot even stand to look at sin because he is holy. He is of purer eyes than to, than to behold evil, I think is what it says. And so, notice this language of, of weight that Jesus had to bear as the Emmanuel, as the God with us, the God-man. Isaiah 53, I'll start in verse 4. Surely He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem Him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Hint, hint for the closing hymn. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised or crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And with His stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to His own way. And the Lord hath laid on Him the iniquity of us all. He shall see of the travail of His soul. I'm skipping. Uh, He shall see of the travail of His soul and shall be satisfied. By His knowledge, praise God, shall my righteous servant justify many, for He shall bear their iniquities. Oh, the precious gift of our Savior, Jesus Christ, that bore a weight, that heavy load. Christ hath borne the heavy load. Is that, I believe it is finished. One of the hymns say, Christ hath borne the heavy load. And what a heavy load it was indeed. I know I'm, I'm like Daddy. I, I, I've got to come up with new illustrations, but this one has, has been, been on my mind for a long time. Um, maybe it's because I, I like to lift weights even though I can't lift very heavy weights. But just imagine, imagine, I like using this illustration when Kendall's here, but maybe he'll, he'll listen to this. Imagine you're, you, you are squatting weight. You, know, you have the, the bar on your shoulders and you're squatting weight. Picture this. I'm not trying to be sacrilegious. Just picture this. Picture Jesus with the bar on His shoulders. And Brother Tony, that time you gossiped. That's, another, that's a 45-pound plate. Oh, that time you lied. That's another 45-pound plate. That time I lusted. That's a 45-pound plate. That time I, I knew I had the ability to go help that brother in need, but I did not want to be inconvenienced. That's another 45-pound plate on the shoulders of Jesus. And multiply that by all the sins of all who have been bought and paid for by the Lamb of God, by Jesus Christ. Imagine the crushing burden of that. Picture that. The, 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 uh, in real life, you see those big, big old football players when they're putting on all that weight, and then you see the, the, the bar will actually bend because they have so much weight on there. Just multiply that in your mind. That's the weight that Jesus Christ bore for the sins of those whose mouths were like open sepulchers, like graves of of rotting corpses that were opened. Let's just get real where maggots and flies get into. That's our state. But Christ hath borne the heavy load. This gift of faith has been received only through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's been purchased through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. 
pure, undefiled. Just for the unjust, 1 Peter would say. He has once suffered just for the unjust. 1 Peter chapter 2. I'll start in verse 21. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. Let me, let me real quick. Just I want to add this just to get some more context to who he's writing to. He is most likely writing to the same audience that he wrote to in his first epistle. As you remember, the first epistle, he's writing to the saints that are scattered in all those different lands and they're scattered due to persecution. And so he's writing to people who have most likely been enduring persecution. You know, Jesus was tempted at all points like as we are, yet without sin. Jesus knows what it's like to be persecuted. We may see a day where we endure some type of persecution. Yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, Paul says to Timothy. So just, just get that. Here's the context. Most likely, and this is real, most likely in that time that he was writing to, Christians... If they found out you were of the follower of the way of Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, the life, it's much like it'll sound similar to today. They would basically put you on a on, on a blacklist. So if you are looking for a job, they'll say, Oh, don't hire him, he's a follower of this Jesus. Nope, don't hire, don't hire him. He uh he was found at at worshiping this this Jesus of Nazareth. So this is writing to a people who they don't know how they're going to put food on the table every single day. This is what's going on most likely at the time that Peter is writing. But, but Jesus, Jesus knows. He knows. He has borne the weight. Verse, uh, sorry, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. For even hereunto were ye called, <clears throat> because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow His steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in His mouth, who when He was reviled, reviled not again. When He suffered, He threatened not, but committed Himself to Him that judgeth righteously. Here's what I want. Who His own self bear our sins in His own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live into righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. If you have received the gift of faith, again, if you, if Christ is excellent to you, oh, what can we do but worship? What can we do but just fall down on our knees physically and, and in our hearts and just say, praise your name, God. So, 2 Peter chapter 1. He's writing, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So, you've received the precious gift of faith through the righteousness of Jesus Christ, who then... All those that God had covenanted to give to Jesus before time began, and Jesus um, secured their salvation on the cross. 
Then He sends the Holy Spirit to come and apply those effects in regeneration. And then an ongoing sanctification as He convicts and leads and guides and yes, chastises. He sends the precious gift of His Holy Spirit who shines into hearts that were dark. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, just as God said, let there be light, it is as if He says, let there be light into J.J. Atkinson's heart and then the Holy Spirit indwells your heart to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Well, not only that, not only is that, a, a, again, this is Peter's encouragement, not only is that just a glorious encouragement that you have received precious faith, that Christ has borne the heavy load for you, that the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. He's also equipped you. He's equipped you. He hadn't just left you to yourself. You have been equipped. He says in verse 3, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Dear saint, believer in Jesus Christ, don't lose heart. God has given you what you need. He has equipped you. He's given you everything that you need pertaining to life and godliness. Why? How so? It's according as His divine power. The dynamite power. That that power that breaks down strongholds. That defeats death. That makes dead souls alive. Equips you through knowledge. Through knowledge. Knowledge is one of the themes of Second Peter. It's mentioned 13 times in the three chapters. And one of the reasons is there was a heresy that was being pushed. JJ, you and I have talked about this before, that Gnostic heresy. Um, and simply put, the Gnostics believed that they had a higher knowledge than everybody else. And the only way to truly have, I guess, eternal life was some sort of mystical knowledge that, uh, that only they had. Well, Peter, again, imagine this. Pete, there's a sense of urgency here. Peter knows he's about to die. And so he's, he, one of the, another theme is to giving all diligence. He talks about diligence. And so he wants them to be equipped through the divine power of, of God, but also through knowledge. And that knowledge, yes, it is, a, it is information. It is facts about God. Facts about who Christ is and what He has done. But it's not just, as, as uh, Brother Isaac said, it's not just information. It is transformation. It is, as one man said, it is a living participation in truth. What does Jesus say in John 17? This is life eternal, that they might know Thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom Thou hast sent. This is a knowledge of, of a deep, intimate communion with Jesus Christ. This is quite 
truthfully, quite honestly, this is you could compare this to the intimate knowledge that a husband and wife have in the confines of marriage. It is a beautiful thing. That is that is what we are called to with Christ. And how can we have that if we don't spend time with Him? Right? Commune with Him. And what is the main avenue that He speaks? Where is Jesus Christ proclaimed? Through the Scriptures. This knowledge, this knowing the Word of God, this drinking in His Word, this is, this is where the power comes from to, to grow in grace. You have been equipped with this, brother and sister in Christ. He would go, later in 2 Peter 1, remember Peter will recount that amazing divine encounter they had, Peter, James, and John, and the Mount of Transfiguration, where they saw a glimpse of, of the glory of God there and saw Moses and Elijah representing the Law and the Prophets. And What an experience. I mean, it, obviously it stayed with them the rest of their lives. It was recorded in Scripture. It was, it was an amazing encounter. Yet, even more so, more firm, more sure than that experience they had is this Word of God. He would say... Um, and the vo- I'll start in verse 18 of chapter 1. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with Him in the holy mount. But verse 19, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, a more fixed, a more firm word of prophecy, wherein ye do well that ye take heed as into a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved, as they were carried along by the Holy Ghost. This knowledge that you have right here, this knowing, how do I know Christ? Where does He speak? He speaks in His Word. Well, but men wrote His Word. So why should I listen to what a bunch of men say? Well, they only spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Ghost. God wrote the Bible. And that's how we can know Christ. You've been equipped. You've been equipped here in 2023. How blessed are we? How blessed are we to have so many... I mean, just... Let's be honest. Sometimes God's Word collects dust on our coffee tables. We have such access. We have access. We have freedom to come and gather together multiple times a week. Most in this room have grown up or for many years now have been under the sound of the Gospel and have been in godly homes. Don't take that for granted. We have been equipped, brothers and sisters in Christ. They, these who are under persecution, are equipped for everything pertaining to life and godliness. So, last point I'll make. This is again, this is Peter's encouragement. And then later, maybe in a couple weeks, we'll look at Peter's exhortation in the following verses. But remember, what is the first encouragement? You are a receiver of faith through the righteousness of Jesus Christ, who hath borne that heavy load. 
Not only that, He didn't just leave you after that, say, see you when you get to heaven. No, He has equipped you. He has given you all things pertaining to life and godliness by His divine power, through knowledge, knowing Him. How can we know Him? How can we grow in Him? Through His Word, through communing with Him in prayer. And then finally, in verse 4, He would say, whereby whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. God is a promise-making, promise-keeping God. And so when it says you've been given exceeding great and precious promises, you can take it to the bank. Those are trustworthy I asked the folks at Tyler, Where is, what's one thing God does not know how to do? He cannot do. He's incapable of doing. What is it? He cannot lie. He cannot lie. So you've been given exceeding great and precious promises. Not just great, but exceeding. And again, it's, it's not hyperbole. It's, it's beyond great and precious promises. The, what I've just tried to describe... What we sang in, in, in talking about the, the uh, covenant of grace and that Sister Sandra called. That God the Father, before time as we know it began, the God who is, the God who always has been, in the beginning, uh, in the beginning was the Word. But God the Father before time, selected a people to pour His love on because He knew we were going to be such great, upstanding folks, right? Wrong. No, our throats are open sepulchers. But God the Father, because it brought Him pleasure, His sovereign love chose a people. Christ takes those people and does the will of His Father. That was His purpose for coming to earth. He does the will of His Father completely, ultimately at the cross, purchasing those people, securing that salvation, redeeming us, paying the ransom price that you and I deserve, and then the Holy Spirit applying those effects in regeneration, and then not just leaving us, but I know it hurts, but yes, chastising us. Hebrews would say chastisement is a sign we're a child of God is when we're being chastised. But chastising us, praying for us, interceding for us, guiding us, leading us. What promises those are. He's made us partakers of the divine nature. That that, that means we, we are no longer a slave. You are not a slave to your sinful passions. I didn't say you're not a sinner. You know, one man likened um, the the battle between the new man and the old man as a a man with, he still has, imagine you're carrying around a dead body on your shoulders, and that dead body is you, your old man. So you still have to carry that dead body, as it were, your old man on your shoulders in this life. And so, yes, do we get weighed down? Absolutely. Because sadly, 
we still have the effect. So sometimes we just like sin. But you are not a slave to that anymore. You are a partaker of the divine nature of Christ. Doesn't mean you're God. Doesn't mean you will be God. It simply means the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. So you can fight those sins. You can say no to those lusts. It means that you were once lost, but now you are found. You were blind, but now you see. It means that, as Paul would say, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. All, behold, all things are become new. It means that we love what Christ loves and hate what Christ hates. But then ultimately, being a partaker of the divine nature, it means that the dead body is going to fall off one day, right? The dead body is going to fall off. The old man is going to completely go away. And we're going to have glorified bodies, glorified souls, where we will really be, it'll be consummated, where we will be a partaker of the divine nature. No more sin. No more cancer. No more storms, Brother Tony. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Paul would say, For our conversation, our citizenship is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto His glorious body, according to the working whereby He is able even to subdue all things unto Himself. Be encouraged, believer in Jesus Christ. Christ bore a heavy load for you because Jesus loves you not by works of righteousness which you have done or I have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration, the renewing of the Holy Ghost. And so then later, maybe I'm supposed to preach next Sunday morning, so y'all better be praying extra, uh, but I probably won't preach on this next Sunday morning, but maybe in a little, in, after that will be the now what Kind of the, the, the now what it will be Peter's exhortation. So that's where he says, beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith, virtue, virtue, knowledge, knowledge, temperance, temperance, patience, patience, godliness and godliness, brotherly kindness to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So imagine this gift of faith. Picture this, this gift of faith is like a beautiful house that you have been given. You didn't do anything to earn it, but you have been given this beautiful house. And picture the, um, the, the virtue, the knowledge, the temperance, the patience, the godliness, the, the brotherly kindness. Imagine that, that's, that you're furnishing that house with these things. This is how you were to furnish that house, that you have received a beautiful house, a mansion. Of course, you, know, you can't describe this house, this, this gift of faith. You furnish this you add to it, you, 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 you furnish it with virtue. That's simply godly courage, self-control, endurance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and charity. I hope these things have been a blessing to you. I hope these resonate in your heart. If they resonate in your heart, rejoice. Because you are free. You are not a slave to sin. And heaven is your home. And if this is just a Sunday night sermon and about 10 minutes longer than Brother Nathan usually preaches, kind of getting tired, then 
My prayer is that one day the Holy Spirit will regenerate you and open your eyes and then you will have a great foundation. You'll have a great foundation already. You'll, have a, you'll all, kind of have a step ahead because of what you have been taught. That's what happened to me. I don't know exactly the moment that the Holy Spirit opened my eyes, but when He did, I already had a foundation. Let's pray. Lord, we just want to praise You. We want to lift Your name. Um, magnify Your name. We can't lift it high enough. Lord, we're thankful that You are sovereign. That You are good. And that You love Your people for no reason on ourselves, but simply it just gave You pleasure. You're sovereign. Thank You for the gift of faith. Thank You for the gift that You are excellent. Jesus Christ is excellent. He is dear. I'll be honest. He's not as dear to me as He should be. But but He is dear to me. And I pray He will be dear to everyone here. And I pray that Jesus Christ's excellence will be being proclaimed here faithfully till Christ comes back. But until then, Lord, let us... Let us rejoice, let us be encouraged, and let us be about your business. In Jesus' name, amen.